Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 208 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, it had to happen sooner or later. Reports of colonies swarming and we too have discovered our first cluster of bees ripe for collection. Stay tuned for my weekly roundup of our beekeeping journey. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Another week and another dry and reasonably warm week it's been. Most of our colonies have enjoyed some sheltered warm sunshine with just the one location on that exposed rise at the farm and they were getting the full blast of a quite chilly wind that's been blowing here in Norfolk all week. With the change in weather to this settled warmer weather though, inevitably colonies are moving towards a reproductive phase in the life of the colony and of course that means swarming becomes a constant concern for most beekeepers. For me, it signals the start of an opportunity rather than a threat that I'm going to lose my bees, although that also happens sometimes despite my best efforts. But it is just part of beekeeping and something that we have to just accept. At some point, a colony will get away from my management efforts and I'll lose a swarm. It's just beekeeping, that's all. It doesn't mean we're all rubbish beekeepers. And to be honest, if any beekeeper tells you they've never lost a swarm, well, let's just say they may not be paying close enough attention to their bees. This spring, in an effort to retain as many bees as possible, I've been clipping our queen's wings. I've talked about it before, and although it's not for everyone, I do think where there is a need to try to retain as many bees in a colony as possible, clipping queens is a useful tool to have in your armoury. So, with all of this in mind, I headed out this week to carry out inspections, still looking for queens to clip and to check for the inevitable queen cells. Actually, there weren't as many queen cells as I thought I would find, perhaps six or seven colonies out of a total of around 110, maybe 5 or 6%, is that what it works out at? Anyway, for me, it still felt a little early to be splitting. And the reason I say this is I'm really focused on drones. I want lots of drones in our colonies, so any virgin queens that emerge have a really good chance of a successful mating. This then meant I was spending a little time removing queen cells in all but two of the colonies, I wanted to demonstrate a simple artificial swarm on camera, so we selected one colony and went through that process. You may have already seen that video if you've been watching the Patreon videos this week. Hopefully, it's given you enough confidence and knowledge to be able to carry out the technique should your colonies throw up queen cells in the coming weeks. We have other swarm control techniques to share, and we'll get to those just as soon as we see more queen cells in the next week or two.
the main method of splitting that I'm going to be using will be vertical splits. And again, I think I've mentioned this before. Typically, there are several different options, even with this one method. It's just so beekeeping, isn't it? Not just one way of doing it. There has to be complications involved. Well, maybe not complications, but just different ways. I'll try them out and let you know how we get on, all on camera, of course. The beauty of the vertical split is that I'm really pushed for space at the moment. We're running out of hive stands and pallets, and I don't like leaving hives on the damp grass margins around the fields, or generally having them low to the ground early in the spring. I don't think that they appreciate the damp, cold air at this time of the year. So we'll split upwards and not sideways, and that will give us the necessary increase but avoid having to move colonies 20 or 30 metres sideways to find some free space. The weekly inspections went really well this week. I think I've proven to myself that I can get through as many as 50 colonies in an afternoon, and once my back gets used to the exercise again, I don't think it will be too big a stretch to cover off something like 70 or 80 hives in a full day of summer inspections. My inspection routine last week started at the weekend at the hillside allotment apiary. The general state of these colonies was fine. I had to remove one final dead-out colony. They appeared to have simply died out due to their very small size, dwindling over the past few weeks, despite the queen apparently laying a reasonably decent patch of eggs. Sometimes it just seems to happen that way. The best thing to do with these is to shut them down and by that I mean close the entrance to prevent robbing, get it onto the back of the truck and take it back to the workshop for cleaning. So we're now in a situation where at this apiary we have some good growing colonies, all healthy and building up nicely. Interestingly, at this apiary in particular, I have just one poly hive. It's a Maysmore Poly commercial hive. I'll pop a link in the notes section of the podcast so you can go and take a look at it. But this particular colony is currently growing and developing faster than any of the other wooden hives that I have at this site. And I don't think it's an oddball colony. I've generally been finding that the poly hives have overwintered more successfully than all of the colonies in wooden hives. This particular box of bees has just had its third super added, was last week, having filled and capped one and pretty much filled another. The next best colony has just one super filled and only partially capped, with another super being added. And that's closer to the norm for the remaining colonies in this apiary. It's really pleasing to see, especially as they have no oilseed rape nearby to forage. This is all gardens and woodland areas nearby. It will be interesting to see what they have been foraging on. And with this in mind, I'm going to sample the honey from this hive and send it to the National Honey Monitoring Scheme and get them to do the work for me. When I get the results, which will likely be next spring, I'll let you know what they find. The apiary had no colonies throwing up queen cells, which is always nice to see. So apart from a quick check through the brood boxes for clipping queens and a quick health check, there wasn't really anything else to do. Next stop was the Fishing Lakes apiary and far more colonies to check. Here we have two current apiaries, one with our overwintered nukes and colonies and the other with the 14 by 12s and the top bar hive. 
This week saw the collection of most of the overwintered nukes that I've sold, and it was important to me to have one final check of these bees to make sure that they were in the very best condition possible for our beekeeping customers. It's always a bit of a surprise when spring colonies make that sudden spurting growth. It's obviously a pleasant surprise, and I don't know why it seems to catch me out when I take the roof off a nuke or colony and suddenly see the box rammed with adult bees. A single frame of emerging brood will increase the colony's strength by a good seam or two of bees, and if you have several frames emerging over the course of a week, between inspections, it can seem like they've suddenly gone from an average size to a really strong colony in the blink of an eye. And that was just the case with the nukes that I'd sold, and I'm certain those lucky beekeepers will be delighted with their new colonies. While I'm talking about taking ownership of nukes, if you have recently taken ownership of a nuke of bees, then when you put them into their main hive, do make sure that the colony is working on the outside face of the outermost frames of foundation before you put on a queen excluder and a super. Otherwise, they'll simply move upwards too soon and leave those outermost frames with foundation not drawn at all. Now, this might not seem, on the face of it, to be a problem, right? The colony's drawn around 75 to 80% of the room, so why not get a super on early? Well, the trouble comes when you take the supers of honey off the colony at the end of the spring flow. The colony suddenly loses its food source. We hit a possible dearth in nectar and pollen, the so-called June gap, and because you didn't get them to draw out the end frames, they don't have enough comb with food in it to survive that barren period and can possibly starve to death. So, if you have a nuke, feed, feed, and keep feeding until they're on the outside frames and drawing comb. So that's something like 95% of the comb drawn, and then get the queen excluder and super on. It might not seem like a big difference, but you'll be glad you waited, I promise. The main queen-rearing apiary at the fishing lakes is where we had our first swarm loss. Yep, that was the one that I hadn't clipped the queen in. They just know, don't they? Funnily enough, we had our local association monthly meeting midweek, and our speaker, a local boy, John Everett, was talking about swarm control, and a really good talk for our group of beginner beekeepers it was. And during his talk, he joked that if people wanted to collect a swarm using a bait hive, they should pick on a beekeeper with lots of hives near a fishing lake. I wonder who he was talking about. Anyway, if you're thinking of sneaking down to my local area to grab a freebie swarm, on this occasion, you're too late. They've already left the building. I'll come back to that point in a moment, but it did focus my mind to get round the rest of the colonies and clip those queens, which I think I've now done successfully. I really need to get back this weekend and add some additional boxes. There are some really big colonies building up here, and with the help of a second brood box, it will be fairly straightforward to split them, and there are now more and more drones to secure a successful mating. The top bar hive apiary, the one that also has the 14 by 12 colonies in it, is also looking nice and strong. I have been constantly amazed by the poor little colony in the top bar hive, I'll shoot a video this weekend for you all to see. They've endured neglect, a lack of food, very few winter and spring checks, 
I have to say mostly due to a lack of time on my part, but with all that said, they've been doing remarkably well. I did drop a bag or two of fondant in with them a while back, and they've been lucky that the weather has played its part in giving us some warmer weather in March and again in April, so that they've been able to get out and forage. The alignment of the good weather, a strong laying queen, and perhaps a dollop of luck, has meant that they've survived thus far, and will soon be handed over to our Norwich Beekeeping Association as a demo hive in the new teaching apiary. Here there is one small caveat though, I'm keeping the bees. It's just the hive that I'm giving to the association. I need all the bees I can possibly get this year, so I'll be performing a shook swarm on this hive into a nuke box, most likely. I don't think they'll be large enough to pull a full-size hive as yet, so I'll start them off in the nuke box first. The comb in the top bar hive will be cut away from the top bars and frozen before being rendered down, and with any luck, the association will hopefully pick up a swarm or two that they can house in the top bar hive for the summer. I have to say, I've thoroughly enjoyed playing around with the top bar hive, and the bees did really well in it. I didn't ever get to take any honey off them, but that wasn't really the reason for having it in the first place. If a top bar hive is something you're interested in, then I would check out my videos and say to you, give it a go. The inspections at the various farm apiaries went really well this week. These are our Langstroth colonies, the Honeypore and the newly acquired Technoset hives. The Langstroth brood boxes give plenty of room for the vast majority of our colonies. It's tempting to give more room and double brood box, but I'm not certain it's necessary for the most of them. There are always colonies that do want more room and these will manage as we go forward. I suspect we'll consider having double brood boxes to overwinter this year with a view to splitting next spring. I can't actually believe I'm talking about next spring already, but that is the nature of beekeeping here in the UK. Planning forward because the summer honey production period for me is quite short really. Anyway, I'll come back to that topic another time. We've been adding supers to the largest colonies. Some now have three supers and will need more room over the next week, I suspect. Happy days, as they say. And I have to say I'm a little reluctant to get overly optimistic, but things are looking really quite good at the moment. I'm certainly not going to get all Eeyore on you and depressed about a sudden change in our fortunes that must inevitably happen. You all know Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh's pessimistic friend, we all have them, but I'm going to remain upbeat about the start of my season. What could possibly go wrong? Well, on that note, I should probably close for this week. Stay positive, enjoy your beekeeping, and I'll catch up with you all again next time. Oh, and please don't forget, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. <laughs> <laughs>